Hi, uh, welcome to the new voting project. My name is Kanal, your host. Like I said, things really don't change on this show. We try to keep it simple. Um, and today we're here with Vice Mayor Julie Testa uh, from the city of Pleasanton, California. Um, you are, are an elected member of the Pleasanton City Council, a 30-year resident, a board member on Tri-Valley Reach, uh, a member of the Tri-Valley chapter of NAMI, um, and also the executive director of CALE, the California Alliance of Elected Officials, um, arguing for specific housing policies in the state of California. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. I understand you are very busy um, these days, uh, but thank you. We do appreciate your time. Sure. Well, I'm really happy to be here, Kanal. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, anytime. Um, so yeah, let's dive into these questions. Uh, okay. Just as a first question, uh, it's pretty basic. Talk a little bit about your background and what got you into this, um, you know, what got you into the world of politics? Why did you choose to do it? Oh, you know, I always think that's a funny question because I didn't choose to do it. And um, it really, I, having raised my family in Pleasanton, three sons, um, we all start off with local concerns and, I was always involved in our schools and our community and, and supporting other um, community electeds. And, and really it was an evolution of being involved and being concerned about different things that just kind of um, evolved into um, a point where I felt that I could no longer get away with um, expecting someone else to do it to run for office. And um, so I found myself at that crossroads where I needed to make that decision of whether I would step up instead of encouraging someone else to step up. Um, but I will say that I, I feel it's an absolute privilege to serve my community. And um, I enjoy very much the connection and the opportunity to work with the residents and the businesses of our community. So um, I, and I will say I have deep roots in um, activism in that when I was less than five years old, I was, uh, my parents took me door to door campaigning for Robert Kennedy back in the day. Uh, yes, I'm that old. Um, and uh, so, I, and I still have uh, campaign posters from okay. the campaign. Wow. Oh, wow. So I absolutely um, was raised with a, um, an, a philosophy of being involved and community service. So um, yeah, that's pretty much what got me here, I think. Right. And I guess as a council member today, you know, representing the city of Pleasanton, talk a little bit about some of your core values, your policy objectives. What are you trying to accomplish in your own community um, and, and its potential shortcomings? Yeah, um, well, definitely, if we're talking core values, my core values, I think absolutely are family first, community service, and just general service to others. In, in fact, you had mentioned um, that I'm currently on the board of the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, and 
I'll just correct. Uh, I am a past board member for REACH, which is a nonprofit that um, I was wore many hats because both of these nonprofits are all volunteer nonprofits. So we uh, we don't just sit as board members, but actually run the organization. So with REACH, I was very involved in developing low-income housing for a developmentally disabled population. And currently with, um, with NAMI, again, we are working boards. So I'm very active in the work that we do on mental health issues. So um, I come to the council with um, having been, and, and I didn't, I don't think I've ever shared with you is that I had been 11 years, a, um, a Pleasanton, um, human service commissioner. Right. So I brought with me those years of, um, advocating for our community's vulnerable, vulnerable populations. So I definitely bring all of that to my work as a city council person. I have deep um, and sincere advocacy for our homeless population and our vulnerable populations. But, um, and I'm known for advocacy on school issues, but most of my time today is spent on um, state housing legislation, I used to believe that I could focus on local and, and that's where I could do um, the most good for my community, where I had the most impact. But I learned a few years ago that there were some sincere um, concerns, some real threats to the quality of life of our community. And um, those threats were coming from at a state level and that if we didn't take those seriously, um, there would be significant consequences to ours and other communities. So um, I have um, since being elected formed an organization and it's um, a California Alliance of Local Electeds. And what we, my peers from around the state join me on Sunday afternoons every week. And we have guest speakers. We talk about issues that are of concern to our local communities, but more often how the state impacts our local communities. And, and most frequently that conversation is about housing. And we have spent the last year and a half at least speaking with state legislators, assembly and senators. We've had dozens, many, and we've learned a lot. It's been fascinating. I've learned a lot. And we're trying to understand why the state wants to make such significant impacts on our community. And not just Pleasanton, but every community across the state, their current agenda is to eliminate single family zoning. Single family zoning means right now we have neighborhoods where there's um, one, one lot, one house. Right. And there are laws right now that are eminent within the next six to eight weeks 
will possibly pass and change that so that um, there will no longer be single family zoning across the state. It would be completely eliminated. And what that means is that if my house goes on the market, um, whoever, or my neighbor's house goes on the market is a better way of saying it. And um, the young family that wants to buy the house is gonna be outbid because now that one lot has the potential to be four to six houses on that one lot. So it really has a negative impact on our next generation because um, the property value will have gone up and it will, there will be um, incentive to investors, speculators. And if they buy that one house and turn it into four or six houses right next to ours um, with um, the, there is not a requirement of replacing parking um, so cars will overflow into neighborhoods. Um, and the other law that is currently being considered, if the house on the other side of me goes on the market, again, a speculator may out and is likely to outbid the young family who would like to raise their children there. And instead, if SB 10 passes, um, there is the potential that they could build up to a small 10 unit um, apartment complex in our single family neighborhood. Um, SB 10 would require the being sanctioned by the local city council, which also brings with SB 10 an incentive for special interest groups to take over our city councils so that they can control these decisions. Um, anyway, there are so many of these pieces of legislation that are gonna have such dramatic impacts on our communities. And they do it under the guise of creating affordable housing and yet none of these bills have any requirement of affordable housing. Do not, and they won't achieve affordable housing. So one of the things I'd like to share with you is there was a, state assembly member that um, testified on the assembly floor a couple, about a month ago. And in his testimony, he said um, that he's, he was concerned. It was a, um, he was testifying on voting on SB9. And he said he felt it wasn't a, a good bill that he didn't believe that it would accomplish affordability, that he knew the cities did not want it, and that he believed that the constituents, the residents do not want it. And he felt that his peers were supporting it and would vote for it to create an illusion that they're doing something about the affordable housing problem. This is all on tape, all on video. And he at the end then says, but I'm gonna vote for it anyway. And he said, but I won't vote for the next one 
which because of that speech, we invited him to Cali to our group and um, dozens of other local electeds and myself um, spoke with him and told him that we appreciated that he understood that this was not a bill that was good for our communities. We appreciated his comment about that he felt that his peers were willing to um, put this bill forward, knowing that the cities didn't want it because he felt the cities were not strong enough. They weren't a powerful enough um, source, but that the special interest groups that are supporting it are powerful and that our legislators don't wanna go against the powerful special interest groups, but they feel it's there's little risk in throwing our cities under the bus, their own constituents that they know won't like these bills under the bus. And they just hope that their constituents never really figure out that they're the ones who did this to us. So, you know, Cali feels very strongly that we need to work towards affordable solutions. We recognize an affordable crisis, affordability crisis, but we do not believe that the legislation that's coming through is going to accomplish solving that. We believe that it is a giveaway to powerful special interest groups. And that legislator who is on record having said all that and still having said that he was going to vote for it anyway, a week later announced that he's running for governor. So understand the political agendas that play into these things and understand that our legislators know that they're not serving their communities when they vote for this. These, they've told us, many of them have told us so at, a Cali, at different Cali meetings. I, I'll end with just saying, Having said all that, we, our canal, I know you know Senator Glazier is our um, state senator and Rebecca Bauer-Kehan is our state assemblywoman. And so I have to say to anyone who hears this, both of them have pretty consistently voted in support of our cities and for local control and against these bills. And really work toward helping being very brave going against the peers, their peers in the legislature and knowing how our cities feel about these pieces of legislation. That said, these pieces of legislation are almost certainly going to pass and we need to then know what our next step will be. So that's what I'm doing most of my days. Yeah, that, that sounds like a lot, not gonna lie. That's, that's a heavy burden. Um, if I if I may just ask, why why utilize so much energy just to focus on housing um, and the advocacy that you do as part of Calais? Um, why is that almost the primary point of concern? Right. Well, you know, I really do feel that I've put an awful lot of my focus on our other local issues. Um, I I believe that I've contributed significantly in only two years to a um, mental health urgent care program that has just launched in our Tri-Valley. I know I have played a significant role with my background from NAMI 
And that's something that's amazing and going to serve our families well. Um, but there are other people that are also supportive of that program. And it doesn't need my, as much of my attention. Fortunately, I mean, that program was something that was never thought of more than two years ago. So the fact that there really has been an awakening and an understanding of some of the issues that I've spent so much time working on in the past, um, mental health advocacy. Um, and right lately, we've had an issue with our, you know, COVID in downtown. And I feel like I've absolutely focused a lot of energy there also. But to answer your question, because the housing issue is very divisive, number one, and I hope to bridge some of that division and, and educate more people on what is happening. But because there was a very one-sided false narrative that was, there, it really is an issue that there wasn't, um, no one else was taking it up or not enough people were taking it up because it is going up against very powerful special interest groups and going up against the state. And it really has been something that I've connected with many other elected officials across the state who felt also that it was such a big and overwhelming issue that there was a feeling like that legislator said that cities couldn't do anything about it. And with Cali, many of us have come together. And by coming together, we feel that there are things that we can and must do. So yes, to answer your question, that takes up probably more of my time than most of the other issues as an individual, because there isn't enough representation doing so. Right. And, and having firsthand witnessed um, your representation, I can vouch um, that the work you're doing is, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I will link all of Calais websites and other items in the description below for people to follow uh, along with. So thank you for that. Um, moving on kind of towards a separate subject, let's talk about 2020. Um, a very strange year, um, some would say, once in a century pandemic, a polarized election, um, you know, just, you know, walk me through your thoughts on 2020 um, and, and voting and all of the issues that comprised last year. You know, what would you think, what would you argue for now? You know, I think you hit it when you said polarized. Um, I, uh, I think that what is the most disappointing is an unwillingness for two extreme groups to actually work together. And, and I think that that is what is so destructive. Um, it's been hard for all of us to watch. And um, I, with Cali, the group that we were just talking about, that's a bipartisan group. 
We are truly a blended group and we work together because we're working together for the common goal of what we believe is in the best interest of our state. And, and we have no difficulties working together. And I, I am a lifetime Democrat. My husband is a lifetime Republican. <laughs> and we work very well together and have for over 40 years. And it's, we're better for it. Um, there, uh, Nelson Mandela quotes, he said, our differences are our strength as a world community. And I, 2020 showed us the worst of that. And I think what we need to do is work toward coming together and being less polarized. And I will share that it doesn't always go over well. I'm surprised at how angry some people are just suggesting that we should work together, the, the parties. And, but I'll use my, my Cali group. Because we bring different perspectives together, we really are better for it. And in between my husband and I, I know he and I are better people. My hearing him and him hearing me. And, and I think that's one of the, the things that we need to see more of, people listening, people being willing to listen instead of hating someone because they have an R or a D in front of their name before they've even said anything. And, and immediately dis dismissing what they might say because they're not of the same party. So coming out of the 2020 election, um, I think we're at the worst we've ever been and we've got to find a way to get better again, to heal our country. And in fact, to identify our differences as strengths. And um, so I, I'm not sure I answered your full question there. No, I think I, I got the gist of it. Um, I would just add that <clears throat> at the local level, from what I've observed, your party, you know, <clears throat> uh, your party alignment doesn't necessarily constitute the full range of your values. Um, and I would say that at the local level, any representative, any elected, any community member that's advocating for their beliefs or the beliefs of a majority um, without the special interest collusion, without an external factor is doing their job. You know, at the federal and potentially even at the state level, things can get really complicated like we saw in 2020. Um, right. But at least for the local level where representation truly impacts the people who live in those in those environments, um, I, I look past um, a Democrat, a D or an R. I, I, I look past that and I go straight to, you know, what do you believe in? Because that's what matters. Right. Yeah. And at the local level, we are we're nonpartisan. You know, our, our candidacy, our elections are nonpartisan. So yeah. it shouldn't be seen that way. And we should be looking at um, community and, and <clears throat> trying to not be divisive. I will say that we are more divided by issue than by party locally. There are issues where one, you know, we do have division, but it really isn't 
straight across a party line. It is more about um, a perspective of issue. So, and I will say, while I have significant concerns and have learned things that I never wanted to learn about um, how special interest drives state politics and certainly national, but I do not believe, I've never encountered at a local level, certainly not within my city of Pleasanton, anyone who I believed was um, driven by anything other than truly their sincere, even though I may disagree with what they, they believe should happen, I know that they sincerely believe that they are doing what is in the best of our community. And I, I have not ever seen anything that locally that I would call out as corruption. I believe that that what happens seems to be that when people move on from the local level, they get pulled into a different world and things do change. And I think a big piece of that is the cost of campaigns. It's always about money, but it isn't about lining pockets necessarily. I mean, in some cases that might happen, but um, it really is the looking for those special interest groups that are going to help them fund their campaign. And, and so we really do need to make more efforts to get the money out of politics and take a look more at that, at which by the way, Pleasanton, um, we talked about that at a recent city council um, meeting and we put in some new campaign uh, spending guidelines to try and keep um, our local campaigns more reasonable and by hopefully creating some spending guidelines, uh, keep some of the special interest money out of our local campaigns. It won't be, we aren't able to get the soft money out, but um, at least having the discussion and identifying it as, a, as an issue for our community, hopefully that'll help in future campaigns. Right. Um, and I guess circling back to something you had mentioned earlier, um, the power of voting, I guess the central focus and theme of this channel is to talk about voting rights. It's an issue we've been dealing with, some could argue, for a couple hundred years since the 60s. You obviously um, understand that. I didn't know you, you technically volunteered for Robert Kennedy, but that's pretty cool. I got to see one of those posters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, there across the United States, there's been a range of voting rights issues, especially after the 2020 election. Um, but I just want to start off with asking a simple question, which is how important is voting? Oh my goodness, of course, it's huge. I mean, um, during, you know, our campaigns, we, we spend so much time uh, trying to meet every voter possible and trying to help them understand what we want, how we want to represent them. Um, and it's very important that people vote. It's also very important that people are informed voters. I've, uh, many years I've worked our polls. I've been uh, a precinct, um, worker and then a precinct inspector. And um, it's just 
it we want to to make it as easy and welcoming as possible for every voter. But I always hope that they've taken the time to be informed before they come in and vote. And so I think both responsibilities go hand in hand. I think people have a responsibility to vote, but they have a responsibility to be an informed voter. So, yes. Um, and I guess on the topic of voting rights, um, why is that such a critical issue? We see in states like Georgia, like Texas, passing legislation that hinders the ability of not only certain communities, but generally access to the ability to vote. Um, why is that such a critical issue when most of us can recognize how important voting is? Right. Well, again, we, we should be making every effort to make, I, I think there needs to be integrity in the, in the process. So I think that's a, a factor that we need to keep in mind as well. Again, working the polls and as an inspector, integrity of the process is a, a very important piece of it as well. But um, we want to make it as accessible. I mean, I think that the um, vote by mail has really helped make populations. It used to be that um, there were volunteers that would go pick people up who couldn't, couldn't drive, couldn't get to the polls. And vote by mail has made that a lot easier. People are, and by far, at least around here, um, the majority of people vote by mail, even when there are precincts accessible and available. And in fact, the last few times I worked a precinct, very few people came and used the voter booth, everybody walking through the door was bringing their already filled out and just dropping it in the box. So it was right. using that process. Right. So um, yeah, it is concerning. It is very concerning to see um, in other parts of our country that there are, that we would go backwards on things like that. We've worked hard to make sure that people understand I've certainly, um, stood at our farmer's market and encouraged people to be registered to vote and be informed voters. And so um, it would be awful to lose those. Um, and it, it's just, it's hard to imagine because where we're at, um, we don't see that. We, or I certainly didn't. I felt that the process was very supportive when I worked um, the different precincts. So um, yeah, I, it, it's just hard to imagine that we would go backwards. Yeah, it's really funny. I'm actually a poll worker too. Um, so I actually got a call this morning about the special election in California. So I'll, I'll most likely be working that election. So yeah, no, not only participating in the civic process, but getting involved beyond that is something I also argue you know, go out and volunteer for a campaign, become a poll worker, you know, right. understand local policies, attend city council meetings, right. county board of supervisor meetings, um, you know, the power and influence of your district attorneys. I'm just right. plugging my own, you know. <laughs> but you're exceptional, Kanal, and we know that. But you know what, Kanal, I was you. 
I was you at in high school. Um, I I was very involved before I was able to vote before I was 18. And I'll tell you, since the day I turned 18, I've never missed an election. I voted in every election. And because of that, um, I always get the uh, surveys. You know, they always want frequent voters to, and they ask and they ask you how likely it is that you're going to vote in the next election. And it's like, oh, 100%, I haven't missed one yet. But um, I was very involved at a young age also and frustrated that I couldn't vote, but I knew I was the exception. I knew that most of my peers were not informed and would not have um, taken it as seriously as I did. So um, you are an exception and I, I'm very proud of the work that you've done. Thank you, I appreciate it, of course. Um, it's only because of electeds like you, you know, we can do our job as organizers um, and activists so thank you for your role. And that leads me to my final question, which is a question I ask all interviewees, um, which is my generation, Gen Z. I don't know where they got Z from. I honestly, either. yeah. Oh, uh, you know, the teenagers, the 16, 17 um, year olds that are coming up. I'm 17. I'll be voting in my next election next year for the first time in the primaries. What advice would you give to us? on the issues we discussed today, voting, elections, getting involved, whether it's housing, education, um, or just wanting to stay engaged, you know, become those informed citizens. Um, what would you say to us as the next class graduating? Right. And it is a lot of what you said, become engaged, but become in informed. And listen, don't, you know, learn and listen and absorb. Um, I know when I was younger, I was more um, likely to challenge and I didn't spend enough time listening. I thought I knew what my position was and I didn't, um, I, I wasn't as receptive to other positions. And it, it doesn't mean that you have to change your position, but at least know that you are have made your decision based on information and hearing both sides. So that really, you know, we have to do something to bring back the um, being able to work together. And it's going to be up to you guys. You guys need to, um, to really make that a priority. And you know, um, I, I do have a, a quote by Sandra Day O'Connor. She said, we don't accomplish anything in this world alone. And whatever happens is the result of the whole tapestry of one's life and all the weaving of individual threads from one to another that create something. And I, I like that because again, I think that the division and the unwillingness to hear opposing positions and opposing views is what will hurt us, what is hurting us. So that would be my advice, would be to be informed, be involved, listen, and be kind. So. Yeah, good, good advice. <laughs> 
And just to wrap up, how can viewers stay updated on your platform, what you get up to, um, anything you want to link? I'll have the Facebook and websites down below, but anything you want to say? Well, um, you can uh, watch the city council every first and third Tuesday of every month. And we are, all of our website or um, email is available on the city website. And so we are very reachable and we always welcome discussions with members of the community. So, and that's the most fun part the job that I do is getting to sit down and have conversations with people like you, Kunal, who came to me and said, hey, can we talk? And what, you know, wonderful conversations we've had since then. So um, absolutely, I welcome those conversations with other community members as well. So. Of course. Um, and is there anything you'd like to add before we log off? Um, I, I just uh not really i feel like we've covered a lot yeah, i think yeah. that you know just be kind everybody we need to we need to work together yeah, so. yeah. uh well thank you so much for joining us on the show um you brought a very very i think much much needed perspective for this episode um and i think most folks will find it interesting to find out what their what their you know legislators are actually focusing on um, and, and op open your eyes as voters. You know, like I said, the focus, the theme is to, you know, create the next class of voting with Gen Z. Um, and seeing seeing that, you know, we look to yourself as great, as great role models. So thank you so much, Julie. Um, you're always welcome back anytime, um, city council or not, um, just to talk about issues. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Kanal. And thank you for everything you do and your involvement. Oh, it's, I don't know. It's too kind. Yeah. Too kind. Yeah. But remember, focus on you right now, because what you've got going in your life needs to be your priority for now. Of course. Of you, course. There, there are big, uh, big roles for you in the future. But right now, <laughs> it's what you need to focus on for your next step. So, right. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank you so much. And um, talk to you later. All right, thank you.